love you, we love you, we love you. Thank you for a church to call home. Thank you for what you're doing through this group of people in this room right now. God, I pray in the name of Jesus, you'd shut out distraction. I pray that you would plant seeds in the hearts of every soul in this space tonight, God. I can't, I can't preach it there, but you can plant it there. And in, in the name of Jesus, I pray that's exactly what you would do. And so thank you for being so good and calling us your kids. We love you so much and pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. amen. Take a seat. Welcome to church. You guys doing good? Hey, if I haven't met you, my name is Doug. I work here and I would love to meet you. And so glad that you're here. You always have a seat in this room and, and we'll, we'll find a seat for any one of your friends that you want to bring with you every week. So glad you're here. Church is way more fun when you're here. So thank you for being here. Uh, we are in week three of our series called Elements where we are kind of dissecting, I guess, like the guts of what faith is. And we're using the elements of creation to describe the elements of faith. And so week one, we, taught, we, we used water to, to kind of talk about obedience, I guess. And then week two, we used fire to talk about trust. And welcome to week three, because it's Earth Day. Happy Earth Day. I wore my green shirt. Everybody last service was like, that's not green, that's blue. But to me, it looks green, so that's not good. It's the greenest shirt that I have. It's Earth Day, and today we are talking about work. All right, interesting topic, but I think you're going to like this. It's Earth Day, and we're talking about worth, faith and works. What is the relationship between what we believe and what we do, right? If you go to James chapter 2, here's what you'll find. This is James. Isn't it obvious that God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense? All right, thanks, James. Tell us what you really feel. This guy, a one on the Enneagram, there's no debate about it, this guy right here. Type A, you can no more show me your works apart from your faith than I can show you my faith apart from my works. Faith and works, works and faith, they fit together hand in glove. If faith was guacamole, come on, then works would be the avocado. Guac without avocado is a Christian without action. It's faith without action. It's a battery without power. Should I do it? I'm going to test it. Should I do it? No power. A battery without power is like faith without works. You know what that is? It's dead. There you go, Ryan, a souvenir just for you. <laughs> faith Faith and work go hand in hand, but don't take my word for it. Take C.S. Lewis's word for it. Here we go. Christians have often disputed as to whether what leads the Christian home is good actions or faith in Christ. It does seem to me like asking which blade in a pair of scissors is most necessary. I love that. Martin Luther, this is so good. He said, you are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. So don't ask like, hey, well, which one is it? What team are you on? Are you on the faith alone team or are you a legalist, right? Because there is a divine dance happening between faith and our response to faith, which is work. And you were designed, emphasis on the word designed, you were designed to experience both. And so let's go back to the original design in Genesis chapter 1, and I'll show you. This is page 1 of your Bible, okay? Genesis 1, starting in 26. Then God said... Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may, pay attention right here, rule 
over the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, and over all the livestock and all the wild animals, over all creatures that move along the ground. And so God created mankind in his own image, the image of God. He created them, male and female, he created them. So we are the Salem Elohim. Those are the Hebrew words behind image of God. So this right here, this is the great democratizing of all humanity, okay? So regardless of like, like across every race, every gender, every age, every socioeconomic status, we are the image of God created every human being not to be like God, but created in his likeness. And that's a big deal. Like we should have a deeply rooted respect in our souls, not just for ourselves, but for every other human. Like even that, that, that person that you don't really like, or that person that you disagree with, or you talk about bad when they're not in the room like you ought to be careful about how you talk about the divine artists work that person is made in the image of God here to be Christ's or God's representatives to his creation we make an invisible God visible Salem Elohim image of God and then it goes on to say God blessed them and said to them be fruitful and increase in number yes sir if you say so God be fruitful and increase in number. You talked me into it. Fill the earth and subdue it. And then once again, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves along the ground. There is a, a direct connection in the Hebrew between the words for image of God and the word rule over. We are here as the image of God to rule over. That's the word radah. R-A-D-A-H. And it's actually the language of royalty. So Adam and Eve are um, designed to royally rule, okay? Royally rule or have dominion over all of God's creation. And so that, that, that answers a timeless question. Like, what does it mean to be human? Why are you here? Why am I here? And not just in church on Sunday, like here, here. Why are any of us here? I would argue, I'd break it into two parts. You are here to be and to do. Identity and action, faith and works, if you will. To be human means first and foremost to just simply be his masterpiece. His master, like God looks at you and goes, I crushed it when it came to you. Like, and he looks at, like, if you go watch Planet Earth 2 on Netflix, God made all of that. The galaxies, all the pictures that we see made all of that. On the sixth day, made you and said, I nailed it. It is, that is very good. You are God's masterpiece, masterpiece first and foremost, but then created to build and steward his creation, to create within creation, to radah. Radah, which, which is very, very similar to our English word for work, all right? So there's a reason that you want what you do in life to matter and to count for something, and it's because it does matter. It does count for something, right? You are, you are loved for who you are, but you are also built and designed to do at the very same time. His kingdom come to earth, to Austin, to Austin through your Work. We are called, we'll say it this way for simplicity's sake, we are called to actively partner with God, and that's royalty language. 
Do not let that get lost on you. We are called to actively partner with God in bringing the world forward. So think about it this way. The Bible begins in a garden in Genesis. The Bible ends in Revelation in a garden city, which means by definition, the garden of Eden was never a final product, but rather a project. And you and I right now find ourselves in the middle of this project. It is not static. It is made to be dynamic and we are placed here to work it. We are placed here to, to cultivate it and draw out its potential in a way that, that everybody benefits from it. This is called work, and it is worship, and it is a holy thing. And you might say, well, if it's so good, if it's such a blessing, why is it so frustrating sometimes? Why, why is it not fun most of the time, okay? And the answer to that question is found in Genesis chapter 3, because this is when the fall of, of humankind happens, and sin sort of enters into the DNA of the perfect creation that God made and fractures it. And when that happened, go read about it. Work actually gets cursed and so that's why that's why you can like work hard and try to accomplish and try to cultivate or raise kids and it feels like there's something like invisible like warring against me like the earth is warring against me that's because it is because work itself is now actually cursed but this is very important that you get this work is not a curse Work was given as a blessing, it just became cursed in Genesis 3, but it was given as a blessing in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. God intended work to be a blessing, and in so many ways, it still is and will become more and more as we redeem it more and more and carry out this mission from garden to garden city. See, God, he, he opens his mouth and talks and stars and galaxies come out of his mouth. He could have just made it a garden city. City, okay? It's not like he made the garden because that's all he could handle, and then he's like, I better create a bunch of little humans to do my stuff for me. No, this is, this is an amazing story, the greatest story the universe shall ever know, that for whatever reason, and I don't know, God just decided, I, I want sons and daughters that I call my own who are loved for, what they, for who they are, and I want to partner with them to make something beautiful out of this. I want to actively partner with them in bringing the world forward. We are made to work. And I mean work, by the way, a much broader category than just the job that you get paid to do. So if you have kids in here, is that work? Yeah, it's exhausting. And, and you don't get paid to do that. They charge you to do that. You pay a lot of money to work that hard, right? Like if you volunteer at this church, that is, it's a lot of work. And plus, like your, your week-to-week like schedule, you're running errands, you're mowing your lawn, you're paying the bills, you're cleaning your house, you're writing that blog or writing that book or you're designing or you're taking photos or you're cooking or you're creating, this is work. This is all work, whether it's vocational or your, your, your daily to-dos or whether it's a passion project, all of this falls beneath the broad category of work and this category makes up the majority of your life. Tim Keller would describe work this way, rearranging the raw material of God's creation in such a way that helps the world thrive and flourish. And so this week, we don't have time today, but if you go and just keep reading Genesis chapter 2, you're going to start to see a lot of just like crazy details in there, all right, that the, the author of Genesis, for some reason, he put those... Or 
or she put those. I don't know. Like, there's theories on who it was. Nobody, however, was there when it was written, so I don't know. The author of Genesis, like, writes all these crazy details, like, uh, oh, there, there were trees in the garden that, were, that had good fruit on them that was good for eating, and the trees were functional, and there's, like, four rivers that go through the garden, and in one of them, there's, like, gold all up in it, and another, there's onyx. I don't even know what onyx is, but I know it's in one of the rivers in the, in the Garden of Eden, right? And, like, John Mark Comer, who wrote the book Garden City, which by the way, is an amazing book. He makes this point, like, do you ever read the Bible and you're like, God, like it's Monday and you, you, you sit down with a cup of coffee and you're like, God, give me something practical for my mundane Monday morning. And you're like, oh, the Euphrates has golden onyx. Great. Who freaking cares about these details, right? Like why is this in here? It's in there because the author is describing the starting point of all of this, this project that you and I find ourselves in the middle of. The, the, the garden is, he, like the author is saying it's made of raw materials and there's trees there that are beautiful and functional and there are precious minerals and metals down in the earth like dig them up mine them up right there's energy in the wind there's energy in the rivers and human beings are here to work it to cultivate it and to develop and steward and draw out its potential to actively partner with God in taking the world forward by rearranging raw materials in a way where it's beneficial and everybody thrives, right? Like everybody thrives. So when a, when a graphic designer like Johnny like sits down with a vision on his laptop and he, he, he has some shapes and maybe a photo and a typeface and a, a color palette and makes a beautiful graphic, right? Or a chef like Eric uh, gathers just random ingredients and makes a delicious dish, right? Or when a, a parent takes a kid and, and along with education and along with love and along with discipline and nourishment like cultivates this tiny little human like we are royally, royally partnering with God and bringing the world forward. And so no, tomorrow you're not just going to work and you're not just raising kids. You are co-creating with the creator and I've been praying all week this would give more meaning to your time on your Excel spreadsheets. I really have been, man, or your inbox. It's a, it, there's something spiritual and sacred happening in your work. And so my first job, um, I was 15. I got a job at Subway, all right? And so I had the black, like, cargo baggy shorts, the green polo shirt, the yellow visor, and the frosted tips, right? And so I'm, like, eating fresh, looking fresher, for three years, guys, I feel like I have the record for the longest-lasting employee at Subway. The turnover rate is a joke there, okay? And I, I, like to, I, I still feel like I smell like it. It's so hard to get that smell out of your skin after one of those shifts, and you know the smell I'm talking about because if you've ever been within a mile of Subway, you smell it, and you're like, I don't know if I, like, that makes me feel hungry or like concerned for the ozone, right? But guys, guys, there are... There are sandwich makers and there are sandwich artists. You are looking at the latter right now, okay? This is, you're like, you, does this guy have Uncle Rico syndrome about Subway? Yes. Yes, I do. After three years, I hung up my yellow visor. I grabbed my red shorts and I became a lifeguard, okay? And I know what you're thinking. Like, you guarded lives. Like, isn't that what, like, Avengers do? yes. Thank you. <laughs> exactly the same thing. 
And I, I, I saved a few little kids in my years of lifeguarding, but full disclosure, uh, when the deep end is five feet, Here's what that looks like. You just have little kids who like can't swim yet, so they like inch along the side and they slip off and panic and you go, oh, there you go. Call me Aquaman, I saved your life. I'm a hero in my hometown. I did this for a few years and obviously my uh, expertise on H2O, that's just water, it's a fancy way of saying it, landed me a job at the Denver Aquarium as the stingray guy. I was the stingray guy at the Denver Aquarium. And so it was 2010, we were in a recession. That's what a biochem degree got you back then. You can be, you can be the stingray guy or you can be a preacher. Same amount of education required for both, right? So that's encouraging if you call this church your, your home. But I was, I was the stingray guy, and so there was like a pool with like 20 stingrays swinging, like swimming around, and I, like I would stand there for eight hours a day and say to all the kids, guys, two fingers on the fins. It's the technical way to pet stingrays, in case you're wondering. Two fingers, guys, like don't grab the stingers. I had to tell like adults that, right? This is where I would insert a, a, a Darwin survival of the fittest joke right here, but you're not allowed to because it's church and it's offensive, not because it's mean, but because it says Darwin in it, and we're just not even going to go there, but I don't get that. But anyways, nine years ago is when I started uh, my journey with vocational ministry, and for the first three years, it was um, unpaid internships which is the politically correct way of saying uh, slave labor for three years is what it was. And then um, it was one year of unpaid international missions and then got back from that and did part-time young adult ministry mixed with part-time graphic designing, which eventually transitioned into full-time young adult ministry, with came, which came with health benefits, which is awesome, especially if you're married. And then that led to one year of planting this church in Austin. And here's what I've learned in that journey about work. Here's what I've learned. Your work is a core part of your humanness, regardless of what it is you're doing. Your work is a core part of what it means to be human. John Mark Comer would say this, you are bursting with raw, uncut potential. You have the blood of royalty in your veins, like you do, made to rule made to subdue, you have a dizzying amount, like if you actually believe this, you have a dizzying amount of pent-up potential in you to do good or to do evil. What kind of ruler will you be? Salem Elohim Radah, made in the image of God. This is the Imago Dei, to rule and have dominion. This is the cultural mandate. We are mandated to create culture actively partnering with God in a royal kind of way, not in an employee kind of way, and bringing the world forward. And so, there's your theology for the day. You're smarter, who cares? Let's convert this new knowledge into something real that not just you, but the people around you can experience with their five senses this week in two ways right here. So if you're a note taker, you're like, I love this guy now. I used to have no points and just talk for like 40 minutes. And now I have like phrases that I took time to think out so you could take notes. You're like, I didn't even like this guy a month ago. And now look at my notebook. It's so 
It's so good. Two thoughts on work. Sound good? Here we go. Number one, I must, here's the word, rada, royally reign my talents, time, and treasure. Your most precious and valuable resources, and I'm slowing down right here for a reason, your talents, time, and your treasure will either rule you or serve you. There is no in-between. Use them for you, you will end up serving them. Use them for something bigger than you, they will end up serving you. And so let me just ask, your talents, let's start with your talents. Are you, are you ruling over them? Are you stewarding your talents? Because you have things that you are good at and things that you are passionate about. You are not an accident. Believe it or not, you might have been a surprise to mom and dad, but you are not a surprise to the Trinity, okay? You are, you are here for a reason and designed, um, designed in a specific way with specific strengths and, strengths and maybe even weaknesses, and, and they're not for nothing. You have a purpose and you have a design to you. You were intrinsically thought up by the creator of everything long before you were born and then knit together in your, in your mother's womb. Go read about it in Psalm 139 this week and try to just believe that something like that could actually be true for you. You have God-given talents. He gave you those, playing small with them, helps nobody ever, okay? But understanding them and ruling over them in a way that you can now steward them to actively partner with God and taking the world somewhere, like, oh my gosh, if, if that is our perspective, switch right there. And so, like, if you happen to be in a season right now where you are uh, trying to discern, okay, what's next for me as far as work goes or as far as my job goes, I'll give you this question to ask yourself. And before I do that, I'll say, just, just remember, um, getting to do what you love is a brand new phenomenon and is a privilege, not a right. And I pray, man, I pray that for you. I'll totally be that guy. Let's go. But even if that doesn't happen until you're 63 years old, it doesn't change the fact that you were called to work hard and passionately in the here and in the now because work is worship, because everything that you do is spiritual. But more on that in a second. The question, actually, one more detour. My little guy, Will, he's 11 months old. And I can't wait to ask him this question right here. Will, buddy, what do you want to be? What do you want to do when you grow up? Like, I think your imagination is one of the most valuable things that you own. I love that question. I remember second grade, our assignment was to draw what you want to be when you grow up. And for me, it was always either NBA player or MLB player or NFL player or just rich guy. I'm like... Obviously, that's the right answer. Why are more people not picking this? If you can just pick rich guy, we should all be picking that, right? Like, what do you want to be? And I love that question. I can't wait for those conversations with Will. You know what question I'm more excited about? And this is the one I'm even more excited to share with you. What did God, the divine designer, design you to do? What did he design? Because there's things he designed you to do, and there's the things that he really did not design you to do, right? 
Exhibit A, thousands of people who try out for American Idol every single season. Like, what did God design you to do? Okay, let's, let's build into that. Let's cultivate that. Let's draw out the potential in that. Because, and here's where the comparison trap kills. Because we can, we can get caught looking around at all these different talents and gifts and callings God has given everybody else. And before you know it, you live your life kind of subconsciously bitter at God because he didn't design you to to do A, B, and C, that you completely miss the ridiculous miracle and how crazy it is that there is an all-knowing God out there who took the time to think you up and intricately weave into you abilities and talents to do to do D, E, and F really well. And that is crazy. That's crazy. We are all given different talents and giftings. This is 1 Corinthians 12, 7. Each person is given something to do that shows who God is. Your talents show who God is. Everybody gets in on it and everybody benefits. This is the church. This is the body of Christ. And there are no big roles and there are no small roles. And I think of, of Will and I'm like, oh man, if we can, I want to encourage you. And whatever it is you want to do, but with what you're designed to do. Because you can see the divine designer's design all over human beings. Sometimes you need somebody to tell it to you. Bro, you should, oh my gosh, you should do that. You are so good at this. You, you, you have the gift of encouragement. When I'm around you, my world is better. It's a happier day when you walk into my life that day, right? I want to draw out that potential. Because, hey, like for me, I can't play in the NBA. I, I wouldn't be good in the business world, and I wish that I could be. I'll be around guys who are, and they'll start talking work, and I'll just kind of like nod, like, I understand totally everything you're saying. No, I don't, and I feel so dumb. I feel so insecure. Like, I wish. And with hard work, maybe. But I, I could never, I, I can't go be an artist, at least not the kind that you're going to buy any of the stuff I make, Right? <laughs> But I can plan a church and talk about God. And I, like, so I'm going to like, I'm going to do that, man. I'm going to do that. Like you just need exhibit it. You need one talent, man. <laughs> you need one talent and you have it. God says you do. Looks at you and says, crushed it. Nailed it. Spirit, Jesus, look, nailed that. And they're in heaven having a divine conversation about their divine design that is you right now. Nailed it. Are you stewarding your talents? Because when you, when you fill your lane and embrace your place, the beautiful thing about that is you know what you see? A lot of fruit in your life. And one of those fruits is peace. And I promise you, fruit and peace, those are the two things you want more than anything. Are you stewarding your talents? And here we go. How about your, your time? This is where I turn the attention to preaching to exhibit A right here. Your time. Do you work it or do you get worked <laughs> by it? We all want more. It's like our treasure, right? But Beyonce only has 24 hours in her day too. And she's crushing it, right? This is where my wife will call me a hypocrite, rightfully so, if I don't let you know I am preaching to me right now, okay? So when it comes to, like, time and ruling over it and, and me telling my schedule what to do rather than the other way around, like, we'll just, we'll have fun with this question right here. Are you a morning person? Are you a morning person? You don't have to 
That's, that's rhetorical. It's for you. I would say, no, I'm not. But there does come a point where I have to look at time in my life and say, okay, it's time for time to stop bossing me around and it's time for me to get above this thing and call the shots when it comes to my schedule because there does come a time in your life where you can't just really like claim not being a morning person as like your personality type, right? And so for me, it's like, okay, am I not a morning person or did I, did I wake up in a bad way already because of the night before? And I, I stress out about everything all day long. I just worry, and I call it prayer. My fuel is not veggies and vitamins. It's energy drinks and fast food, right? I drink caffeine after four. I eat sugar after eight. And then I get in bed where I scroll on Instagram, and I'm restless all night because my mind can't turn off. And so I'm not a morning person. No. No. You stink at ruling over your time. Oh, my gosh, I'm preaching to me, but let's pretend I'm talking to you, okay, right now. And this is good. Sometimes you need to come to a church where the, the preacher will tell you, hey, stop drinking caffeine after four. Like, we can't always be, like, super theological. Like, Nebuchadnezzar erected a statue that was 90 cubits in height. Like, sometimes it's like, hey, stop eating sugar after eight and then wondering why you can't sleep and you're always tired, right? Like, maybe it's just not this huge mystery. Ryan, write that down and text it to me later because I need it and I'll forget <laughs> your time, like your money, okay, so let's go here just really quick. Do you tell, like ruling over your money just like your time, your treasure, do you tell every dollar bill where to go and what to do? Or do you get a paycheck in and then before you know it, you're like, where'd he go? <laughs> Doug, don't go there. Okay. Switch gears. Your time. Do you tell your hours and your minutes and your days and your weeks what to do? Or does time kick your butt? Like, are you in a space right now where you are just in survival mode? being swallowed up by everything that you've said yes to and committed to, and you're like, I'm trying to get out of this, but I don't even have time to get out of survival mode right now because I say yes to absolutely everything. And I get being busy, man. Trust me. I get being busy. I have one kid. If you have three kids in here, I will never complain to you that I'm busy. Oh, my gosh. Like, I get it. But did you know in the 1960s when they started uh, developing all these time-saving devices, so microwaves and dishwashers, that at the time scientists and sociologists, their biggest worry was that by the year 1990, our biggest problem as human beings in the West would be too much leisure time and not enough to do. That we would be looking for ways to somehow stay busy. That's what they predicted. Well, what happened? The devices worked, but we just filled our extra free time with saying yes to more and more and more things. And I get it. There, there's a lot of good things to say yes to. So, obviously, like, there's bad things to say yes to. I'm not even going to go there. Like, we're all adults. You know that, right? I'm just saying, if you don't say no to maybe a lot of good things, before you know it, good things will rush in and fill the space of all the great things and people your life is supposed to be filled with. 
and your human and your life and your relationship to time should look way more like a rhythm than just noise. Way more like a song than just noise. It was Mozart who said, hey, I write masterpieces not only because of the notes I say yes to, but because of the ones I don't say yes to. When you write a good song, by definition, there's a lot of good notes you have to say no to. And so, is, is, is your life a song, or are you saying yes to everything so your life sounds more like this? Right? Oh, I can't say no to anything, because everything's good. Everything has to be included, but this, like, this sounds like my life right now, and it's exhausting. I hope it's kind of stressful you hearing that right now. I really do, because, hey, Permission to be human for you right now. In a day and age where the world kind of requires energizer bunnies, you're not a machine. Permission to be human, permission to say no to good things, right? And let's do this. Let's take it a step further. Give the people in your life permission to be human. Let them say no to you. If they say no to you, maybe, maybe it's not because of you. Maybe it's because they're trying to like catch their breath and come up for air and start living a life that's a lot more of a song and a rhythm than just straight noise. And if you want more proof on this, go watch my second favorite Christmas movie, which is The Holiday, and go to the scene where Jack Black writes a song for Kate Winslet, and he says, for you, I used only the good notes. What if your life said yes to only the good notes, to only the good notes, permission to be human. You have, it's time that time stopped kicking you around because you have dominion over creation. Guess what time's a part of? Creation. A.W. <sighs> Tozer would say, your time is like your money. And I know we brought money and time up a lot in this series, but it's because those are the two things that are the most powerful resources in your life. They might be the two things you think about more than anything else. And you know what they also are? The most powerful indicators of your substance. Not the image that you project of your substance. So we all have, at the end of the month, free money. After it's like, okay, rent, mortgage, food, necessities, okay, and, and for you, whatever this amount is, I promise you, you'd say it's not enough, whether it's $10 a month or 10000 a month, right? How you spend it, Tozer says, not me, Tozer says, is an indicator of who you love. Same thing with your time, free time, leisure time, call it what you want, indicator, not of who you love, but of who you are. So is it for you, your time, talent, treasure? Or is it for something bigger than yourself? Because that will determine if you serve those things or rule those things. Okay? God's not going to take any of those things from you. He waits patiently for us to offer them to him. Okay? So I, I don't know. What God is going to do in your life and through your life, I, can't, I, I don't know the answer to any of that because it's dependent on something. All I know is it's, God's going to start with whatever it is that you give him. He's going to start with whatever, which means you are the only person that can limit what God can do in you and through you in your life. You are the only person who can 
limit that. And I know you're like, man, this all sounds like such a, a big sacrifice. Yes, now you're getting it. That's a core theme of Christianity. In fact, history is hinged on the sacrifice of one human being. And now that word and that concept permeates into everything that we do. Every sacrifice is followed up by life. Every time you sacrifice something, life is on the other side. Same, same thing as the resurrection crucifixion rule. Like, but like a after every crucifixion is a resurrection that follows, and the bigness and the goodness of the resurrection is so much more than the badness of the crucifixion every single time. You, you, you will have to sacrifice for what you want, or else what you want will be your, the sacrifice. I didn't come up with that, but I'm going to say it again for somebody. You will have to sacrifice for what you want, or what you want will be the sacrifice. And I'll just leave that. I'll leave that there. And you can think on that this week. Ruling over your talents, your time, and treasure. Or is it the other way around? I promise you, your perspective on who they're for will answer that question for you. But let's keep going. Work is worship because the secular is spiritual. Work is worship because the secular is sacred. The secular is spiritual. And you're like, well, how, how can work be worship if I don't work at a church? Right? People ask me all the time. I've gotten that question. Hey, when did you know that you were called to, to ministry, right? And if I'm in a sassy mood, which I am sometimes, I've never actually responded with this, but I've just thought it. I want to say like, hey, when did you know that you were called to ministry? Because everything is spiritual. And that's the danger of this um, sacred-secular divide mindset that a lot of us have. And the danger is because most of your life is not spent in a church or in your Bible. Therefore, most of your life is quote-unquote secular, right? And most of your life lacks, if, if the most of your life part that is secular, for lack of a better word, if that part of your life lacks the eternal component to it, then you will begin to think, what I do doesn't matter. And there's not eternal significance to my mundane Monday morning, right? And that, like, you're, I'm changing diapers, or I'm cleaning the house, or I'm in meetings all day long. I'm answering emails, and we start to think, does any of this really matter when in reality it is ridiculous how much every single thing that we do matters because God is in everything, and there's royal blood in your veins right now, and he's working through you to take the world somewhere. And I'm telling you, there is a self-made dam in your life that is holding back a vast reservoir of everything that is spiritual and Jesus wants that to break down so like a raging river everything spiritual can rush into every other part of your life there is no like the sacred secular divide is not a thing like it's not like if you were to go back in time 2,000 years and ask Jesus Jesus how's your spiritual life going he'd be like what like nobody's ever asked me that because like, I don't have my spiritual life and then my non-spiritual life. All of life is spiritual. Like, did you know the Old Testament, written in Hebrew, three-quarters of your Bible, in the entire Hebrew language, they don't have a word for spiritual. 
Because it was just kind of like understood to everybody that everything is spiritual. God wants every part and every second of your life and everything that you do under the broad category of work in your life is worship and ministry and matters to him. Whether you're in church, whether you're serving, whether you're leading, leading a life group, whether you're inviting somebody in line at Starbucks to church and sharing your faith with them, whether you're waking up at 3 a.m. with your baby, all of it matters to God. Everything Everything is spiritual. Work is worship because the secular is sacred. God loves our work. Whatever it is for you, God loves your work. That's why it matters. And you want to know how I know he loves it? Because God loves faith. And faith and work go hand in hand. If faith is guacamole, the work is the avocados in it. God loves work. Work is worship. And I think we'll end right here. The ultimate way to worship God through the work that we do, Monday through Saturday and Sunday too, the work that we do, the ultimate way we worship him is by doing it with an excellent spirit, trying to produce as much excellence as we possibly can. And so Michael Jordan has had talent, but it was hard work that made him the greatest, right? Elon Musk was born a baby genius, but it's been hard work to build everything that he's built and do everything that he's done. So what if Christians were, were, were like, what if Christians started to be known for the excellence that we produce in work, right? Like we make excellent lattes at Christians at our job at Starbucks. We build as engineers, excellent buildings. As doctors and nurses, we have excellent bedside manner, right? Like we make excellent churches. We sell excellent products at a fair price because I mean if God is the source of all creativity and if God is the source of everything that is good and if his greatness cannot be exaggerated and if he designed us in his excellent image then the work that we do the things that we make the things that we cultivate the services we offer if they're for God they should represent God if they're for God they should show it we need great doctors and great teachers and moms and dads and flight attendants and police officers and first responders and and news reporters the world should know who the Christians are by how well we do what we do because an excellent God deserves our excellence amen and we make God beautiful to the rest of the world by how hard we work and how much passion we put into it and the excellence that we bring to the table I'm like I'm sick and tired of the word Christian being synonymous with the word average Whenever that happened, I am sick and tired of that. It's time for the word Christian in the eyes of the world to be redeemed a little bit and become synonymous with the word excellence. Because if it's for an excellent God, then everything we do ought to be excellent because we make him beautiful through the things that we do. You make Jesus beautiful to your friends by the way you talk about Jesus. You make marriage sound amazing to your friends by how you talk about your spouse. It's the same thing with Jesus, the same thing with God, by the way you talk about him, by the work that you do, by the quality of the product that you sell, by how hard you work, even though it's not your dream job, by gathering up the raw materials in Austin and rearranging them in a way that benefits everybody in this amazing city to thrive even more and to, to redeem the bad parts of our culture 
culture and to make the good parts even better and better, to make Austin beautiful by taking the garden to a garden city in all of our spheres through your time, your talent, and treasure because what you do matters. This is not, this is not evacuation theology where we've got like 80 years on this planet and then Jesus is gonna get us out of here and blow everything up. We are not rearranging chairs on the Titanic as it goes down. There's a reason he placed us here to be stewards of his creation and to actively partner with him to bring it forward. There is a reason for it and what you do this week matters. There is eternal significance to every part of your life because God is in every part of your life. Let the divide between the spiritual and the secular in your life fall down and everything that, that's got God's name written on it flood into every part of your being. And from your being flows everything that you do. You are loved for who you are. If you do nothing, you can sit on your metaphorical couch as a Christian and participate in no way. You're loved for who you are. But you are designed to do, created to work. It is, it's spiritual to royally reign and rule over this amazing creation and make it more beautiful by the day, amen? God, we love you, we love you, we love you, we love you, we love you. I just trust, Holy Spirit, that you're speaking to every person in this space individually right now. Speak to them in the name of Jesus, God. Give meaning to our mundane. Give meaning to everything we do throughout the week, God, because everything is sacred. Everything is spiritual. Everything, Jesus, has your name written on it and everything matters to you regardless of how insignificant something feels, God. We repent of the way we talk about the jobs and talents that you've given us, divine designer, divine artist. Thank you for knitting every single person in this space together with so much forethought and creativity as to the things you, with great foreknowledge, saw them doing in this lifetime. God, we are built for this. And I pray for my friends in this room, God, to find a lane and to embrace a place where they can genuinely say, man, I was, I was built for this. And I'm stewarding my talents, my time, and my treasure. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray all of these things. And everybody said, amen.